Hey everyone, welcome back to Pretending With Dice. As always, I'm your host, AJ. Uh, I'm super honoured to be joined today for another one of our interview episodes uh, by someone a little bit different from the people that we've been uh, having on recently. Uh, YouTube and Twitch superstar and uh, co-host of the Spawn Chunks podcast, uh, Pixel Riffs, uh, aka Johnny. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's going very well. Uh, I'm d- delighted to be somebody a little bit different. Um, and, and having listened to a few of your recent episodes, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to provide a bit more of a different perspective. I am the, the relative novice when it comes to the world of D&D, but mm. I, have, I have other worlds that I occasionally inhabit, as do we all. So uh, yeah, it's, it's just good to catch up, man. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while. I was trying to think of how long we've known each other, and we definitely met at college in like 2003. I, well, I when, think. Did, when did I start there? Brock was 2003, 2005, I think, we were yeah, at college. Yeah, and and we definitely met sometime in first year, I've got to assume. Mm. Uh, so I guess we've known each other for like 15 years, but uh, then... Time has just flied. <laughs> we haven't seen each other for at least a decade, and yeah, goodness knows now, ain't nobody seeing nobody else. No. So, <laughs> as, as we like to say here, because of the situation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> we are, it, it, is, it is nice to, uh, to be able to catch up, at least audio-wise, with... Mm. Uh, somebody i've uh, i've i've heard of but not spoken to for a while yeah yeah i mean like like you say it's probably been 10 years but it's i feel like then i'm i'm always seeing you on like popping up on twitch and youtube and everything so it feel, it's that thing of like we haven't really spoken for quite a while but I kind of feel like, oh, yeah, no, no, Johnny's doing this. And, you know, oh, yeah, you know, occasionally I pop into a stream and say hey and stuff. And so it doesn't, yes, the old thing, it kind of like doesn't feel like it's been that long. We are, we are two really ships has. passing in the night yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, no, totally. It's, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a while since we've sat down and had a good old chat. And it's funny because mm. we've, we've ended up moving in quite similar circles with podcasting and everything like that. I feel like, you know, we've, we've both come at it from two different angles, but mm. ended up somehow in the same place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, um, I mean, listeners will know this. I, I've, because I tend to say it almost every time, is I obviously I, I did the previous podcast of this um, sub dude for well, five years, which wasn't mm-hmm. really related. And then I've kind of moved towards this. And it's interesting to see sort of, you know, you, you kind of went the YouTube route with, um, what was it originally? Wiki Riffs, wasn't it? The, um, yeah. the music thing. I think deep I, I've cut. got, yeah. I've deep got, cut right there. I've got your volumes one and two still on um, on my <laughs> music player. <laughs> one, one of the few people who went to Bandcamp and and, and downloaded that. Yeah. So <laughs> should, should I should I start there? Should I explain to people what that is? Because yeah, let's, it's, um, let's, well, let, let's jump in. Give, give um, our listeners who may or may not um, be familiar with your work, but just a bit of an overview of sort of, uh, of what it is you get up to sort of thing. And yeah, well, start um, at the beginning, maybe. <laughs> well, I I think of myself now as a full time Minecraft content creator, mm. and what that effectively means is I run a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel, and a couple of other projects related to Minecraft. But it is now my full time job. Been doing this for close to two years. I think in July it'll be two years of having quit my job and and gone into youtube and twitch content production full-time yeah um i also co-run a channel called the hermitcraft recap which is a weekly recap of everything that happens on the hermitcraft server being one of the more popular youtube multiplayer minecraft servers full of like you know career minecrafters who've been doing this for for years and years yeah and i also co-host the spawn chunks podcast as you mentioned at the top of the show where uh me and my buddy joel who lives over in canada uh have been basically doing a, a news and discussion podcast about Minecraft every Monday since uh, mid-2018. Hmm. We're up to about 130 episodes of that now. So that's, that's kind of my, my day-to-day. Uh, where all of this started was, I guess, 
wanting to do something with music production because uh, you and I went to the same college and that was where I started my kind of music, music tech uh, education. And from there, I went to Leeds College of Music studying music production, which is how come I have a decent amount of recording equipment and it was already set up for like the audio side of what I do already. Mm. It's why podcasting comes to me relatively naturally and <laughs> like all of the the YouTube stuff, like audio is always one of the key components of it to me because you think about the way you watch a Twitch stream or a YouTube video, you're probably not actually looking at it with your eyeballs 100% of the time. It, it becomes background noise for a lot of people when they're doing other stuff. Mm. So the audio side of it was really important to me. But coming out of university, I wanted to do something with YouTube since it was still like a, a growing medium. I think I got into YouTube stuff in around 2009, so maybe three or four years after the platform really got popular. But around the time people started to branch out creatively with it, do sketch comedy, people were making money out of it at that point, and it just seemed like a fun place to just dip my toe in the water and do something creative. Yeah. Um, at the time, I'd been working in bookshops with the vague idea of like, hey, maybe I'll get into creative writing and do that. And then when that really didn't work out for me, I didn't have the patience to follow through with it. I'd do a musical project. I'd start writing songs. And then six months later, when that didn't really go anywhere, I'd be playing video games for about 12 months. And then I'd get back into creative writing and my creativity would kind of go in cycles. I can see all the elements coming together there. Sort of I mean, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like yeah. it's so somehow the perfect storm occurred a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but but Wikiriffs was the first real go at doing a creative effort on YouTube where every week I would go to Wikipedia, click that random article button in the sidebar, mm. and then whatever <laughs> came up, whatever article it suggested, I would write a song about it and then publish that next week and do the same thing over and over again. And it was, it was an idea that sustained me through basically about four or five months of unemployment at that stage mm. um i was also getting to know my partner at the time my partner is american and they lived out in the united states back when we first met and so i went out to visit them couldn't really work while i was over there so i ended up just kind of messing around on the guitar and whatnot and and doing some songwriting yeah yeah i think i'm i'm trying to think back and i remember there was a couple of videos was there one with you in an elevator or something Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was, there, was that filmed over there? I'm trying, I'm, I'm racking my brain because, like you say, it's been a little while. Um, that was filmed actually at the San Jose headquarters of Namco Bandai, where <laughs> my, my partner was working there as a QA tester for about six months before everybody got laid off in that usual game development cycle. Hmm. Um, sad but true. And the, uh, the lift there, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, I guess the, I, I've got a song that I've got to write about a hotel. Let me write a bossa nova song that sounds like lift music, and it's somebody <laughs> stuck in a lift at a hotel. And yeah, so so I ended up filming that in in a in a in a completely unrelated lift. Yeah, but it, it worked for me. At I don't the know time. why that one stuck with me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> probably because the the elevator music style of it maybe gets stuck in your it head. Be, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I wrote a song about a uh, a Gaelic football team, which they then started singing on the terraces at their club, and oh, it was wow. a very small club, so <laughs> it didn't really go anywhere from that. But it was just Still, kind of yeah, that's kind of hilarious. Um, yeah, <laughs> the 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 mild internet notoriety that I was gaining from that, but in the end, that ended up with. With, I think less than a thousand subscribers to the channel and I did a couple of collabs with people who are of a similar size and it was it was fun mm. I think the highlight of that was going up to see a mate of mine from that YouTube kind of circuit from the smaller like vlogger scene 
um, who was sort of following on from people like Vlog Brothers and Wheezy Waiter and a lot of the the creators who really sort of attained their popularity in 2009, 2010-ish. Hmm. Um, I went up to Glasgow and did a gig to help him like launch his album kind of locally and we just did a gig in like the basement of a cafe somewhere and i was singing people songs about random articles from wikipedia and nice. they seemed to really like the concept but that was the only live gig i ever did as wiki riffs the legendary right? so, wiki riffs in glasgow live yeah exactly live and, experience. And one night only basically yeah. <laughs> it's like my my entire career as wiki riffs sort of summed up in that moment but yeah. uh, yeah, that was that was the the early inklings of I want to do something on YouTube and whatever it is, it might work out for me eventually. But hmm. you know, I probably better get a real job <laughs> in the interim. Like the the music stuff wasn't quite going as as speedily as I'd hoped. I mean, to, to rewind a second, like I mean, we'll, we'll pop straight back to this. This is my terrible interviewing style. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, like you say, coming from the music production background, having all of the the kind of kit and decent equipment and things being like a good sort of jumping off point to being like oh okay i I can do this is you know youtube and twitch streams and things i already have the equipment because that's pretty much where i'm coming from yeah yeah totally yeah i mean all of my equipment even though we basically most of the time use it for playing D &D, is all like music recording equipment i'm basically talking Mm -hmm. into a drum mic right now i think and stuff yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. now i i I started out with the um the condenser mics that you use to record the overheads on drum kits, so like cymbals and stuff like that. I I ended up with a matched pair of those and then realized I only really need one of these, but it's a good quality microphone for vocal presence, and that's mm. really all I need to do most of the stuff that I was doing at the time. And obviously recording commentary for YouTube videos, for, for gaming videos, required a lot less setup and a lot less, you know, you know, mic positioning, all of that kind of stuff. Like I wasn't recording instruments at that point. I was just recording my voice. Hmm. And so that, that kind of felt like a natural refinement of the skills I already had was like, well, let's just pare everything down to me talking into a microphone and then the gameplay stuff recorded separately. And yeah, that didn't come along until a little bit later. Uh, in the meantime, my only other claim to fame, and I love rolling these out occasionally because <laughs> you, you find out through sharing these with people that other people have just done some noteworthy but bizarre stuff uh for a while the most popular thing i had ever done online was i wrote a shakespearean sonnet version of thrift shop by macklemore okay and i'll i'll see if i can (laughs) dig up the tumblr post but it was somebody had had found like one of those you know twitter accounts that tweets out stuff in faux shakespearean language or something Mm. and they they tried to do a take on thrift shop uh and it just wasn't work it, it wasn't very good it wasn't very well like formed and it wasn't you know iambic pentameter and all of that stuff and then i think it was even one of the the green brothers one of the guys from vlog brothers reblogged it on tumblr and said uh this isn't in iambic pentameter it sucks <laughs> and i i replied to that with a full shakespearean sonnet version of thrift shop that is still one of my favorite things I've ever written. And <laughs> within a couple of weeks, it had like 400,000 notes on Tumblr. Like everyone had like reblogged it and liked it and added their own kind of, OMG, this is hilarious. Tom Hiddleston should read this on the radio kind of. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was one of those things that, again, that little taste of like internet success that keeps me coming back every mm. so often. is just like, occasionally I can do things that are popular. You just have to be there at the right time and sort of win that internet lottery of, suddenly all of the eyeballs are on this at the same time. Hmm. I mean, Tum- Tumblr is one of those places that 
it's just I I don't think I got into it at the right time, and now it's too late. Sort of yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, t Tumblr has kind of had its ebbs and flows, I think, over time. And you see platforms like TikTok doing now what Tumblr was doing then and just being mm. the place everybody goes to share the media they want to share and the silly dances they're doing and hashtag things with super long descriptions of whatever's happening. And Tumblr is still a, a lively community, I think, mostly dedicated to fandom stuff now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there are a lot of different avenues for that. I just but, I feel like I tried it and I couldn't. I, I was I sort of bounced off of the whole kind of I don't know whether it was the format or the dashboard kind of thing or something. I, it just didn't click for me, so I kind of just didn't go down that route. And it's um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's it's a place for for media sharing and sort of in the same way that Twitter was for you know microblogging and retweeting stuff back in the day. Tumblr was there for that, but with more media. Hmm. And yeah, it, it worked for some people. It didn't for others. My my other Tumblr project. Uh, have you ever watched Neon Genesis Evangelion? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so my other Tumblr project was finding people who had posted about just finishing the original series of Evangelion <laughs> and reblogging that with the GIF of everybody clapping at the end and saying congratulations. <laughs> nice. And so any any time anyone was like, I don't know what the heck just happened. I just watched episode twenty six of Evangelion. Like. It took this weird turn at the end where it's just like a series of images with philosophy 101 over yeah. the top of it. What is happening? And there was me just like, congratulations. Clap, with the clap, congratulations, clap. Gif. Exactly. Then, yeah. yeah. No it explanation. Just, <laughs> just a deeply ironic take on, on the Evangelion stuff. But yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was where I was at creatively around that time. And that has long since fallen into disuse. But mm. occasionally I revisit it just for, just for laughs. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Wiki Riffs thing then was coming to sort of a little bit of a close, would it be fair to say? Or yeah, and uh, yeah. so the next move there was to sort of. Um, did you go straight into doing kind of Minecrafty type stuff at that point, or was it sort of was there more? I I didn't in the end. I I was I was working at the time. I I sort of WikiRiffs tailed off the creative energy for that sort of died off while I was working for Disney Interactive in mm. Brighton. Uh, they used to have an office uh, in more or less central Brighton where the majority of the staff there was uh, moderating and doing online support for the kids' online game Club Penguin. Mm, yeah. um, and so whenever I introduce this, I always tell people that, you know, if you were on Club Penguin, I probably banned you at some point uh, <laughs> because I may have done. Someone's um, got to do it. Exactly, right? And and so, yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of... Because a lot of online sites are used to a culture of being moderated vi by volunteers... It is assumed that a lot of the moderators on Club Penguin were just members of the public. Yeah. And I mean, I guess technically we were, but we were also employed by Disney to to do the moderation stuff. Hmm. And so while I was working there, the the creative energy died off again. And because I was working in a place that was, you know, had a, a culture around gaming, I got back into the cycle of playing video games for twelve months. Yeah. And while I was there, uh, one of my colleagues basically did. We did competitor research projects every now and again, just on games that kids who were of Club Penguin age would also be playing just so we could understand what kids were talking about when there was certain online chat around games like Minecraft or like, hmm. you know, any any other bits and pieces, just pop culture artifacts, you know? Yeah, so you've got the context and, and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. And and that was that was my, my first real introduction to Minecraft, was somebody giving a presentation about Minecraft as it was in, I'd say, 2014-ish. Fairly early um, on, then. Yeah, like relatively. I mean, the game was five years old at that point, but in terms of the progress it had made as a cultural phenomenon, I knew about it, 
but I hadn't really seen what it could do. Mm. And one of the first videos he showed us was somebody building a one-to-one scale model of the USS Enterprise. (laughs) And I went, oh, it's that kind of game then. It's more of like a creative sandbox kind of thing instead of just a bunch of people making rude shapes out of blocks. Mm. And yeah, my interest in Minecraft was peaked at that time, and I'd always sort of admired it from a distance. But then another coworker ended up giving me his Xbox 360 because I think he was getting an Xbox One around that time they were starting to come out. And uh, it red ringed some like six months later, I think, sad, sadly. Uh, but, but his gamer tag was changing and he was like, you can probably still use my old account. It's probably still like logged in on there. And so I, I had a copy of Minecraft that I could play on there. So I would come back from work and play Minecraft on my Xbox for a couple of hours a night. Mm. And it was my first real, you know, foray into more modern gaming anyway, because I just hadn't been able to afford to get an Xbox or a 360 or any of the more recent consoles. I'd gone from a PS2 to an Xbox 360 mm. at that point. And, and so I just started tinkering with stuff, and then I'd start getting obsessed with it. So I was reading the Minecraft wiki to find out what some of the other features of the game were on the bus on the way to work. and it became clear to me that this was obviously like a sandbox game, but it had this survival mode that was incredibly compelling because you have to struggle to find resources and you end up building stuff that just seems like such an achievement after you've had to gather all of the resources from where you are around you. Around the same time, my brother-in-law, my English brother-in-law, because I kind of have to point in two different directions for my (laughs) brother-in-laws because the one who is married to my sister, um, he started playing Minecraft on PC, and he fairly quickly joined a friend of his who was on a multiplayer server, and everybody on there made YouTube videos. And obviously at the time, there's a huge Minecraft YouTube culture even then. Mm. I was watching other people playing Minecraft for the first time and getting a feel for how they played and what projects they were taking on. A lot of people who were just goofing around, but some people who were taking it a bit more seriously and doing storylines, and like you have the early Yogscast stuff to look at. There's There's so many different avenues for minecraft at that stage and rob my brother-in-law said basically like you'd probably be really good at this youtube minecraft stuff let me build you a pc out of all of these spare parts i've got lying around it probably won't be able to run anything more like intensive than a linux operating system and you can maybe record minecraft in like 12 fps Mm. at the same time (laughs) but uh you know at, at that point it was my first step into video game production stuff and and making youtube videos around that yeah so so that was the the early days was like a pc held together with cardboard and string (laughs) more or less but just uh, hoping that it's all gonna turn out sort of watchable i guess is the yeah yeah and and it is still fairly watchable i mean those videos are still on my youtube channel they are 480p resolution the music is too loud you can't quite hear my commentary (laughs) in some places like i haven't quite figured out the ins and outs of it yet but like the seed is there yeah it was it was planted at that stage and when the xbox died i at least went well i can play minecraft on the pc now (laughs) so just switch chairs i guess (laughs) yeah exactly and at the time because i had thought for so long that youtube gaming stuff because i'd watched bits and pieces of it you had to be somewhere that had a budget for equipment. You had to have external and internal capture cards to be able to capture any gameplay. A lot of the gameplay then was done on consoles because the PCs couldn't handle running a game and recording it at the same time. Mm. And then as hardware sort of moved on, it became quickly apparent that, no, this was something you could build a PC to record and 
you know, even stream, record and play a game and commentate it all at the same time. And that was the state that, you know, accessible consumer hardware had got to yeah. at this point. So it started to become a more real prospect for me. And uh, sooner or later, I think I got a bonus from work one year around Christmas. I put together a budget, improved the components of my PC, and then I was starting to make things that were, if not like outside of the the range of quality that I was in already, then at least like looking a little bit sharper. And I was able to record audio to the computer itself to go along with the, you know, embedded in the video recording instead of what I was doing at the time, which was recording the audio to my laptop separately and then syncing them up in the edit afterwards. Oh, I, <laughs> it was like flashbacks of, um, yeah, similar thing. Like, um, when back in the sup dude days, um, my friend Jason, who's on some of our D and D stuff on here. And I did a series where we were playing through dark souls. And even then I wouldn't have even like, even though I had a quite beefy computer, I totally get what you mean about like, it just, it didn't even cross my mind that like, okay, we'll do everything at the same time. So it was, <laughs> we were recording audio in Cubase and I was surprised it would do that while we were playing Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> while I was filming mm -hmm. us with my SLR camera and then having to sync all of that up in an edit afterwards for a YouTube video that I hadn't even discovered handbrake at that point. So it was like, and I've got my slow internet connection. So it's a YouTube video <laughs> that's going to take six hours to upload. <laughs> and and there, are, there are some places that still do that as yeah. well as an editing workflow, especially if you've got multiple people recording in the same room, like, mm. you know, when back before the, the pandemic, when folks like achievement hunter were still recording from their office, they would still record all of their microphones to a separate audio feed and then sync all of that stuff manually by clapping or, yeah. you know, counting in or whatever. And like, it just seemed like the obvious workflow to me at the time. You could also have the audio recorded independently so that you could balance it later. And obviously later I found, uh, you know, software was actually capable of recording multiple audio tracks at once. But yeah. <laughs> at the time I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing at this stage. So the, the technicalities of it sort of exposed themselves to me further down the line when I was able to afford some slightly better hardware. Mm. Um, and at, at that point, the Pixel Rift's channel had been established for a little while. I was chugging along with maybe like 200 or so subscribers. That's still a good start, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good start. I think it was maybe like a, at that point a third of what Wikirifts had done. And mm. at, at the time, obviously, you're making stuff as a hobbyist at that stage. And... Back in, what was it, 2015-ish, 2016 maybe, you know, the YouTube stuff was not, I mean, it, it, somehow it wasn't as big as it is now. It's it's only exponentially grown yeah. since I started doing it, really. But um, I was just making videos for myself, for a couple of other people on the server, and mostly, having played solo on Xbox the entire time, I was excited to share Minecraft stuff with people mm. because I really didn't know like what it was like to be part of a community where you could learn from the people around you and learn to build cool stuff and just study the way other people played the game. And Minecraft is like that. It's, it's a platform that has so many diverse ways of playing. It's completely unlike, you know, more linear story-based let's play kind of stuff where everybody is experiencing the game more or less the same way. Hmm. Maybe making a couple of like dialogue choices or character customization happens the, a different way. But Minecraft has that infinite replayability of, you know, next time you can build in a completely different style, you can do, you know, farm resources completely different ways. There are so many different approaches to it that you learn all of that stuff being part of a, a multiplayer community. 
you're sort of making your. You, uh, this is how I'm going to cleverly tie this into D and D. You're sort of making your your own kind of um, stories with it. Then really, mm. you've got the sandbox to work in, and then off you go. Much yes. like tabletop role playing games. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yes. There we go. I, <laughs> I've vaguely tied it back to our <laughs> our thing. Um, our thing. But yeah, we'll, no, we'll, um, we'll we'll definitely get to uh, yeah. to more of that later as well. Um, but yeah, like the collaborative process of building a world mm, is basically yeah, no, what, what, what you're that's what, I'm getting, what yeah. you're doing, and and it's it's a really fun process being being part of that with other people, and you learn a lot about what your boundaries are when it comes to that stuff as well. So mm-hmm. how much you want other people to interfere with your builds when you're on a multiplayer server? There is kind of typically a culture of good natured pranking that happens where. You know, if your base looks kind of funny, like if it's built in front of a mountain that looks like a dog, somebody will come in and sculpt the mountain so it looks more like a dog. Uh, <laughs> and but, but they'll put a collar on it that's got like gold blocks on it or something. And so like if you needed some gold, that's a way of them delivering something to you whilst also joking about the fact that you chose a really weird place to build your base. <laughs> um, yeah. And th- there's there's the stuff like that that becomes part of the, the collaborative process. Mm, yeah. Going from like the the two hundred sort of subscriber point, then uh, what do you think was the thing that really kind of lit the fuse and propelled the channel forward? Then the from there? the springboard really started with uh, I was making a couple of light tutorial videos for little details that I was discovering you could build with some of the features in the game, hmm. mainly focused on building and little redstone gadgets and stuff like that. And one of those got picked up by a much larger creator called OMG Chad, who runs a channel called OMG Craft. And he does lots of little light, very accessible tutorials about how to do bits and pieces within Minecraft. And he did a spotlight for my channel, which was the first time he'd ever done something like that. Mm. Suddenly, overnight, I went from having 200 subscribers to having about 7,000. Oh, wow. And yeah, like it, it, it literally happened like the morning of that day. Like I got a message from somebody on Skype that was just like a shocked emoji <laughs> or something. And then I was like, what? And then... I went to YouTube and found that so many people suddenly started subscribing and I went, oh, okay, like this is, again, that little taste of internet fame started to creep in Mm. and it sort of leveled out very quickly after that. Like I was making some fairly pedestrian YouTube Let's Plays at the time. The tutorial stuff was still gaining traction, but the Let's Play stuff that I preferred doing really that kind of balanced all of the intensive work that goes into a tutorial, it wasn't really getting as much traction. And so... From that point, things started to drift back down to a fairly comfortable level. You know, subscribers is really a vanity metric on YouTube. What you need to look at is how many views your videos are getting on a consistent basis. Because there are people out there with like millions of subscribers who are just old subscribers and don't really watch their videos anymore. And they're getting like a 10,000 views per video, if that, you know. Um, So I was I was less concerned about that and I wasn't making any money out of it at the time. Uh, I think I started a Patreon around then and got like a, a little bit of money trickling in from that, but definitely not enough to consider, hey, let me quit my job. Uh, unfortunately, that decision got made for me because Club Penguin's entire office in Brighton got shut down and I got laid off. Ah, not, and while, not great. While I was, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, while I was looking around for another job, I put a little bit more time into the tutorial production stuff. And I started on a series of fairly, again, fairly accessible tutorials for buildings that you could build in a 16 by 16 block area which is like one chunk in minecraft terms that's Hmm. like a a single area that the world will load and 
those got really popular specifically there was one i made with a uh, castle they're just like a kind of castle keep with four towers a very basic like lego set looking castle yeah but that ended up getting in total i think about 500,000 views Ooh. just because it hit search terms it hit that youtube algorithm sweet spot of it showed up in a bunch of suggested videos and one of the first things that newcomers to minecraft look for is like oh i'm going to build a castle with all this stone i've just mined how do I do that again? Hmm. Um, and so they found a fairly accessible castle tutorial and they came back to it a whole bunch. And yeah, from there, I made a fairly successful series of tutorials that would get, you know, around 100,000 views a piece, started to tail off again towards the end of that. But tutorials had always been something that was driving new people to come to my channel. And the Let's Play stuff would keep people there if people wanted something that was a bit more long form to follow. And that's a kind of format that still you know, exists in Minecraft and is is fairly celebrated. So the kind of thing that people arrive for the tutorials stay for the let's mm, play. Yeah. They sort of they they've learned from you and they want to see what you're doing with the stuff that you're sort of um showing them how to do, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and then from there I decided, well, why not combine the two? And there had been a few successful tutorial let's play series in the past uh probably the most famous being uh by a guy called paul saws jr who did a series called how to survive and thrive in minecraft hmm. but that was pretty outdated at this point it had been recorded several versions of the game ago and i thought well why not do a more updated version of that because new mechanics were being introduced to the game uh around i guess 2018 like middle of 2018 there was a an update that completely transformed oceans so oceans had been fairly plain before but now they had kelp and tropical fish and turtles and dolphins mm. and the player could the player could swim you know in in ways that you know previously you just kind of bobbed up and down in the water as though you were running on the surface yeah um and so i thought well this seems like a the right sort of time to revitalize that tutorial let's play format and teach people about all of the new stuff that's been added to the game so i started the series that has been effectively like the flagship series for my channel for the last couple of years which is the minecraft survival guide hmm. and that was really where everything started to kick off for me at that point i went from forty thousand subscribers to the amount i have today like today i'm over seven hundred thousand. Um, and all of that really came from the momentum that Survival Guide had in the early days. Mm. And, you know, some recent stuff I've done has, you know, popped up again. And I think Survival Guide Season 1, as it currently is, is getting a little bit long in the tooth because there's another update to Minecraft coming this summer that is completely changing caving. And a bunch of stuff about the world is is going to be updated again. And so even though this world has persisted through the last few updates and the minecraft team are really good about making updates compatible with your old world so you can just bring them forward into the newer features mm. i think this is going to be the time that i'll reset and i'll do a season two of the minecraft survival guide start a world from scratch again and season see two, how that goes from there survival guide the next generation yeah yeah so <laughs> survival guide to judgment day you know <laughs> uh back in the habit or whatever but yes there's there's any number of sequel titles i can give it yeah awesome okay so at what point then did you make the sort of um jump onto doing twitch stuff as well because obviously i see you on there doing working on on the survival guide world i think seems to be a fair few of the um the streams i see yeah. At, what, at what point did that sort of um, come in as like, okay, I'm going to do this as well as the YouTube? Twitch was always kind of a side project for me, and I still think of it as like, uh, YouTube is my home, but Twitch is a nice vacation. Mm. Uh, but 
Yeah, Twitch has gotten to be a fairly big deal now, and I started off streaming stuff on YouTube, which it made it made sense to me at the time because YouTube was starting a streaming platform. YouTube being such a popular destination for video content anyway, mm. and um, I guess you, you know, already had my, the platform as well. Exactly, my yeah. my audience being there, right? And so I I started out streaming on YouTube, but that was a few years ago when the YouTube series, the, the the tools that they had in place for chat moderation and even the chat itself. None of that stuff has ever really been that great, in my opinion. Mm. And it's something that I think Twitch did a lot better. Uh, Twitch has a a sort of built-in culture around live streams already. They understand that they are a destination for live streams in the same way that YouTube is a destination for video. And they don't try and overstretch themselves too much on that score. Twitch still has its issues, don't get me wrong, but I think YouTube is kind of trying to do too much and is becoming a jack-of-all-master-of-none when it comes to any format other than just uploaded video content. Yeah. So I made the move to Twitch, and at the time I wanted to find something to do other than Minecraft, and so I started playing back through the Final Fantasy series. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I'd forgotten you did that. I I definitely tuned in for a good chunk of Final Fantasy V. I do know that. Yeah, yeah. And some of those I'd never played before. Like, I hadn't played any Final Fantasies before, I think, four and then six. So one, two, three, and five were completely alien to me. I'd never mm. seen them before. So playing back through those was fun on Twitch, but again, it was it, it was kind of a, a side gig. It was like relatively low numbers because here I am playing retro games, and it's not the hot stuff that people are interested in yeah. now. You know, it wasn't really there what you're known for as well. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there, there might be a new Final Fantasy title out, but then everyone's going to look for people watching that and. Even then, the the streamer culture around that type of game isn't as big. And then I started thinking, well, I can also use this here and there as a way to do behind-the-scenes work for some of the larger projects in Survival Guide. Hmm. And back back in those days, streaming Minecraft used to really stress me out because there was a lot of backseat gaming and there were a lot of people like just impatiently asking me about what the next YouTube video was and... That was when I was streaming on YouTube because I think the YouTube audience didn't really get what a like the atmosphere of a live stream should have been. And starting to play Minecraft on Twitch, I didn't feel as much of that anxiety. And I think a lot of it was just down to the Twitch audience being a little bit more chill to begin with. I guess like with the with the YouTube audience, they're they're kind of used to sort of tuning in and seeing a more kind of polished final mm-hmm. video, would you say? Yeah. Whereas I guess on Twitch, viewers are sort of expecting to be kind of along for the ride, seeing the sort of raw process of yeah of you doing stuff in the game and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. They're about the journey, and mm. the 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 atmosphere around it is different. It's more of like a chill hangout with your friends on the couch while they play games, rather than mm. coming to me for for tutorial stuff. I've and, definitely found that I've been I've been streaming Tomb Raider, the original 1996 one, on weekends uh-huh. recently, and it's. You know, I'm not, I'm not, not what's the term? I'm not doing numbers. You know, it's my, it's me and my friends hanging out and watching me fail at Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And, but I like the chill atmosphere of just like, okay, you know, I'm just going to be rambling, complaining about the controls for a couple of hours, and um, it's a, it's <laughs> that a good is time. Always, <laughs> what happens when you're playing a game from that era as well? Yeah. Like they, they recently re-released Super Mario 64 on the Switch as mm. part of like a three pack of Mario games. Every streamer I watched play that game was like, wow, this is nostalgic for the first minute, and then after that. <laughs> <laughs> they were like oh my god the camera it's so yeah. bad I, so yeah 
yeah i feel that that's that's where i'm at with tomb raider i'm like i'm like three quarters of the way through the game or something and the whole time like i would say a good 90 percent of my stream is me going why won't she jump where i tell her to jump lara <laughs> lara get on get on the rock get on get on the rock lara yeah no entirely yeah I, I i feel you and it was it was sort of like that with those early final fantasy games really um hmm. but that to, to bring it back again to to D D was part of what got me into D as a concept like there were, there were people hanging out in the chat talking about how you know the final fantasy monster lists from you know the, the bestiary for those early games was basically lifted entirely from dungeons and dragons yeah there's very much like, a monster manual connection there it, it really is yeah. yeah um stuff down to like the character classes and the abilities and stuff like that and you know the stories at that point are so basic because it's limited by the memory of a NES cartridge, mm. and it was really interesting learning about how the Japanese versions had much more complex stories because Japanese can be told with a much more concise character limit on screen. Yeah. Whereas because because you know individual characters uh you know can mean a lot more, and you know one letter can be a whole word more or less. Mm. Um, that's simplifying it, but that's basically what it comes down to, and so. Yeah, the, the English translations of it had a lot more simplistic dialogue, I suppose. But um, yeah, that really came down to the, the realization that those like early video game RPGs are just people trying to play D&D against a computer instead of having a DM. Like the DM is the, the, the cartridge, is mm. the, the memory for the game. <laughs> trying to take and, the table experience and be like, well, how do I do this alone? with a controller in my hand instead yeah, of, yeah exactly like how, how, how do i create a challenge for myself that doesn't have to rely on other people being there and everybody being like super sharp and everything mm. and of course that that leads it to well there are only a limited number of ways that you can play through this game sure but um you know that's where side quests and stuff come in in, in later iterations but yeah i at the time i was sort of realizing that a lot of the video games that I'd played in the past also had a bit of that D&D flavor, like text-based adventure games from mm. back in the days of, you know, green on black computer screens um, had all basically been the computer is the dungeon master. It gives you a description of the area. You can say which do you want to go north, Y slash N, and, you know, use key on door, that kind of stuff. Like it's effectively the same thing and, and just in a, a fairly basic text-based storytelling format and i don't know if those games ever got as sophisticated as combat because i was like five or six when i first started <laughs> interacting with anything like that but yeah it, it was it was a time when i st sort of started thinking about other creative ways and the creative writing urge coming back a little bit but being so invested by that point in youtube minecraft as a career but not seeing the storytelling angle really work out for me there that I thought, how else can I branch out into that? Mm. And uh, it was also around the same time I started listening to D&D podcasts. So I got really into the adventure zone, yeah, um, which I'm sure is a lot of people's gateway drug for for D&D in general. And I'd always had this impression previously, as I'm sure many people do, of D&D being a very sterile, rules-based, nerdy, kind of nitpicky backseat gamey kind of environment where everybody has very specific ways they want it to be played and the maths is all very you know one plus two plus two plus one hmm. um and hearing the adventure zone have this incredibly irreverent take on the genre and them not really knowing what they were doing and just kind of like seat their pants in their way through most of it but having a, a really fun time as they were doing it it just 
kind of kindled that spark in me of like, oh, okay, D&D can be something that you don't have to attach all of these stakes to. You know, the story can get that way later, but at the beginning, it can just be you and your friends having a sort of collaborative storytelling session and having fun with it. Yeah, making jokes about elves and stuff. Exactly. Like, I'd never really seen that side of D&D before, and so that's what kind of convinced me to give it a go myself. I feel like that's one of the things that... um you know, the rise of kind of D&D podcasts and like uh, long form streams like Critical Role. I don't know if you've, you've ever watched that. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've, I've seen a few of them. Yeah, I feel like they, they've kind of, and, and it's only welcome really for me because this is my preferred way of playing is the, the, mm-hmm. the sort of, you know, a, a dice roll occasionally, but we're having fun and it's in the title of the show, pretending with dice. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of bringing the kind of role playing side of things more into sort of focus whereas like you say i mean i i kind of um historically i was kind of aware of D when we were you know when growing up and stuff you know you hear it referenced in as a sort of oh it's one of those nerd games kind of thing meanwhile yeah. i'm over here with thousands of pounds with a warhammer going huh, i mean right D&D, you know? yeah and um, i i feel i feel like the media representation of D has a lot to blame for that it's yeah. the kind of the big bang theory look at those nerds kind uh, of way of yeah. doing things rather than actually celebrating it in mm. the way that you know is is unironic and doesn't have this implied you know, third party, you know, fourth wall break, the audience is just laughing at these people doing this. And I think even like the IT crowd episode of Dungeons and Dragons is kind of like that, where it's all about like them getting overly emotional that this fairy queen won't like love them or whatever. And, you know, it immediately jumps to a bunch of nerds wanting to role play having sex with characters because they can't get any themselves. You know, yeah. it's like there's it's there's always just allusions like that being thrown around. When, making them the butt of the joke more than anything else. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the reality is it's it's you know a, a really fun pastime to have with friends. Mm. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> wants to portray it that way because yeah, it, it can so easily be the butt of the joke. I mean I can't help but think that that's probably turned a lot of people off from trying it who maybe would have you know really you know given the chance would really enjoy playing that kind of game but they're just looking at it's like oh that's weird nerd stuff you yeah. know i don't want to get involved in that it's just a bunch of you know people sitting around in the basement who can't get you know <laughs> can't can't deal with the real world sort of thing you know yeah whereas but, but, like you but say, these people will happily time. These people will happily watch the extended editions of all the Lord of the Rings movies, but they're like, doing that myself? Ugh. And you're like, no, <laughs> you can you can literally be the characters on screen in your imaginations, yeah. sure, but what are imaginations for if not this? Mm, for sure, yeah. And as I say, the um, the sort of, it's being brought more, I think, into the kind of, I don't want to say mainstream yet, but like more kind of to the fore as a sort of thing of like, no, no, this is, you know, look, we're here as a group of friends having fun and this is how we're having fun and it's a good time rather than like yeah. we're, we're all showing up to angrily sit in the dark and roll dice at each other sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's also paralleled the rise of board games that aren't just Monopoly and Cluedo, mm. I think is another way that that has been brought into the forefront is by people understanding that sitting around a table and playing a board game doesn't necessarily mean you will have to be miserable. Yeah. I've got I've got so into a newer generation of board games. I mean classics obviously like Catan and Ticket to Ride, but like some of the the newer stuff that's coming out. Did you know that Stardew Valley has a board game now by the I, way? Yeah, I think I did see that and I thought, "Oh, how's that going to work?" Cuz I mean in, oh, in my head I'm thinking like, "Well, I play Stardew." I'm just like, "Well, I'm just doing 
Interesting farm stuff, you know. It, it looks it How's... looks so good though. <laughs> it's it's like it's actually a fairly faithful simulation of how the game works, okay. but in board game format and having to complete bundles for the community center and stuff like we could do a whole separate podcast just about the two of us having played Study Valley recently yeah, because yeah. oh man, <laughs> like that has been for me now what the Final Fantasy RPG streams were for me then. Mm. You know, just just one of those things that I can do instead of Minecraft occasionally. That is just I want to just have a chill time on the farm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just as absorbing and just as fun. And the, the new update for it is is so good. But, I have been enjoying it. Yeah, as you say, we could do a whole separate podcast. Yeah, about starting, exactly. But, but yeah, I have been. But, but the point it is, <laughs> like this more modern approach to board games is happening, and as a result, it's getting people back into board gaming as a hobby, where previously their experiences of that may have been, you know, arguments around a Monopoly board with their family. Mm. And I think maybe that also draws people back into tabletop role-playing as a, a potential source of fun. And so, yeah, I I ended up buying the core rule books with the thought of, yeah, I can, I can see myself maybe getting into this. If it doesn't work out, at least the art is nice and yeah. it could provide some inspo for, for Minecraft build stuff. Yeah. Like if I, I'm like, I, I see this really interesting cityscape drawn on page five or whatever, I go, okay, maybe I can take some inspiration from that. And mm. I've been using a bit of concept art to try and inform some of the stuff I was building in Minecraft anyway. So it made sense. But then... Yeah, my my partner and two of our friends were all interested in trying D and D out, uh, and so I wrote a one shot. But uh, there was, I mean, it was going to be a one shot. It was more like two sessions for for one sort of adventure. But um, we we got into that. I took the role of DM, and I really feel like I had to lead the charge in a way because it was going to be my enthusiasm that was driving the whole thing to begin with. And yeah, uh, my my friend Joel, we actually did a. A podcast back when i was first getting into D, and he was like you know if you're throwing a party you don't invite everybody over to a party and then expect them to cook for you you know so mm. <laughs> i was uh, that that was my feeling was like i have to to kind of take the reins yeah here you come prepared bit. sort of thing exactly and so we did character creation with them and then we put together this one shot and uh it was it was fun to homebrew it i think because i i knew these people well enough at this stage to know that they weren't necessarily going to be into all combat all the time. Like they wanted a mystery. They wanted mm. some puzzles to solve. They wanted to have a little bit of a little bit of variety injected into it instead of it being a really combat heavy thing. And at the time I didn't really know what to search for when it was like starter adventures. And there are loads of them out there. I'm now coming to realize, but I just didn't know where to look. Mm. So and there's sites I up, like DMs guild and things like that, where there's, you know, so many good things on there. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I, I'm with you. I like homebrewing. I just, that that's my that's my jam kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll be the first to say, uh, coming at it from a similar mindset to you, I'm I'm not really into like just combat focused slogs through a dungeon. You know, a dungeon yeah. is fun every once in a while, but I'm there for the role playing. I'm there for the um, and and it's <laughs> long term listeners will know that's where I lean to in you know the edit and how I'm running adventures. I mean, we've had whole like multi-episode bits of our <laughs> of our D stories where it's just like there's no combat nobody's using anything <laughs> yeah any of their spells or stuff i just want to see what happens when these guys get drunk in a pub and start sniping at each other yes and, you yeah because that's that's what's funny to me is the fun character interactions in character sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah no, that's it, why it, i'm here you know it's, it's all about drama. <laughs> yeah and, and setting up the in jokes and stuff mm. as well because that's the stuff people remember and laugh about afterwards and like the fond memories that you carry through an entire campaign and longer you know like yeah. 
in in this first adventure the the characters ended up getting tied up in a cellar by the tavern master who was basically behind the whole evil plots that was going on mm. and to escape the druid wild shaped into a horse <laughs> and he he has now developed basically the character trait that he turns into a horse when he is startled. I love it. <laughs> and so, so like anything happens, like the you know the lights suddenly go down and everyone's like, oh, gasp, kind of panic, and then lights come back up. There's just a horse standing there, and that's <laughs> and that's his character. And yeah, there, there's some some really fun like jokes came out of that. Yeah, it, it's it's just making those um those memories, those sort of references and in jokes and. And the camaraderie that comes along with that is infectious. It it definitely starts to starts to build as you do it more yeah. regularly as well. And it, just the, the freedom it allows as well of just being like, okay, I have as a DM to be like, okay, I have a blank canvas. What type of story do I want to tell, or like, what situation do I want to put these people who I know well and I know what their characters playing? What do I I want to see how they react to that? And that that, that that's a big draw to me to be like i have an idea for a storyline but just the wild extra element of like but i can't write what any of the people in the story are gonna do yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's 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 fun and that's yeah. that's something that i think my players for the most part have been i don't want to say like playing into my hands but they've certainly not been as <laughs> dance <puppets> unruly dance. <laughs> yeah i mean they, they haven't been as unruly as i understand some other folks are and it may be just that this is their first real experience with D hmm. or or anything like that but i feel like a lot of the time they have they've kind of followed the the critical path through this adventure thus far like they they haven't come up with any wild ideas that have completely turned around my plans yeah and in some cases that's just because i want things to go a certain way so i've been spoon feeding them bits and pieces of information that don't really take them too far off track or that you know a, a lot of the time their interests align so well with mine that i'm writing stuff specifically knowing okay i think i think they'll they'll go along with this and they'll enjoy it but also they don't really know that they can you know overturn this table and throw a chair at the nearest guard and start mm. a fight and all, all of that kind of stuff that we could role play in this in the at the time and that i might have a couple of notes scribbled down just in case they do that that can take it in a completely different direction i think part of it is that i think um as you say with the the whole kind of the video games being like an attempt to take a game like D&D and go like how can I put this on that it has had that unfortunate side effect where they've got you know obviously limited things is that there's going to be a limit to the number of different outcomes in a role-playing video game they've it's had this sort of side effect of kind of almost limiting people's idea of what they can do yeah so I, it's it's always a bit of a bad I mean with the people I play with now they're, they're fully you know shaken of this I, I would like to think of the idea of like well what can I do and it's like well what do you want to do yeah yeah <laughs> sort of thing that's what I, I sort of I'm always sort of trying to get that across of like okay this is you're in a room like you can do whatever you can try whatever it might not succeed but you can try it you know sort of thing if you want to like you say flip over a chair and do whatever even if that's 100% something that would just be I don't know, out of left field. You can do it. I'm not stopping you sort of thing, you know, but now that's yeah. an odd sort of, um, it's, it's a, you know, it's about breaking out of that. Like, okay, what are my actions? And it's like, well, you know, what are my possible actions? And it's like, well, it's not really limited. It's just, what would your guy do in the room? You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I think as they get to know their characters a little better, they are coming up with that stuff a little more. Mm. And I think at first, like, I, I've taken a lot of lessons from the way video games structure things 
for the sections where I want to hold their hands through it a little bit. Like the the opening sort of combat experience in the the one shot that I did for them when we were all brand new to it, I basically had them fighting a practice dummy so that they could learn how to attack. Okay. And, you know, I I basically had like a tutorial mission set up for them so that they would be able to learn everything before we got onto a, a larger campaign. Hmm. And so I, I think they they grasp the basics of that fairly well. They're not all like full-on gamers in the same way that I am. I think Michael has played the most games out of all of us. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think we've uh, we- we've got more of a an understanding of what they can and can't do now, and they're just trying to feel their way through this place. I think a lot of the time, maybe this is the atmosphere I've set for the campaign, but it's also the atmosphere I expected that they would like to have. They're like they're they're not too keen on just like upsetting people, <laughs> you know. They they prefer to act like normal, rational members of society. Even though a lot of D and D campaigns are much more like gung ho adventure, we kill whoever <laughs> we want, murder hobo kind of yeah uh, status. I I think they are much more interested in having something where they are at least morally <laughs> not completely <laughs> bankrupt and. They have like they're effectively living out of a loft apartment in this town that I've made up now and going on adventures. And again, with the video game influence coming back into it and a little bit of the Minecraft influence with terrain and structures often being procedurally generated. Mm. The way I have them dungeoneering is that the uh, underneath of the city that they're in is basically constantly changing. It is this okay. sort of labyrinthine set of corridors that sort of like the staircases at Hogwarts, it just changes constantly and nobody mm. knows where the next doorway is going to lead. And effectively what that is, is me procedurally generating a dungeon for them. And so each time they open a new door, I have them roll on a table and it determines what room they're going to come out into next. That's a good framing device. I like that. It's a sort of, like you say, at any point they could choose to delve into the dungeon. It'd be different each time sort of yeah. thing i like it and yeah that that ends up being quite a lot of work for me because i have to come up with a series of rooms they can potentially go through and there is usually you know an enemy encounter and objective i have a, like a loose idea of what i want them to go through mm. each time but yeah it, it, it kind of splits off that how, way how they get there is going to be uh, up to the dice like you say <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and and that i feel like gives them a little bit more agency in how they explore the world at the same time because they feel like they are influencing things and it can also kind of put them on their toes when I'm like, okay, roll a d4. And they're like, oh, what's it going to be? And it kind of increases the tension in a way that <laughs> I don't have to do too much environmental storytelling to really kind of set up this feeling of tension. Yeah, And yeah. That's, that's led to some interesting stuff. There's, there's a couple of times when I've used dice rolling mechanics to just identify what details they pick out about a room and not just like in a perception check kind of way but i'll put them in a museum that's full of magical artifacts and i'm like roll on whatever skill you want to and i'll let you know what catches your eye and i have like a full list of you know if they roll a dc 15 acrobatics then you know maybe they notice some especially cool looking climbing gear or something Mm. and i basically signpost all of these things that i'm like you could probably steal this if you wanted to pull a heist on this museum (laughs) and most of the time they haven't they they don't they don't seem to think well i could just roll in and take this and so they're not fully committed to the swiping all 100 loot every room kind of yeah exactly and so and so putting putting some of that in their hands is is kind of is going to be an interesting challenge but Mm. yeah i i have 
yeah, I, I've I've started to work out because I've been writing so much of this as I go, just sort of not really having a solid idea of the plot when we started, but then finding out what details they latch onto what the the, the plot then becomes. Yeah. And uh, at one point, they go to this museum that's kind of the centerpiece. They they have found in one of their early uh, dives into the ruins, they found a copper dragon scale that was just like in a chest somewhere, like somebody had kept it as a trophy. And they delivered this to the guild that they're working for. And the guild is like, this needs to go in a museum. This is like an artifact of huge historical importance. <laughs> it especially in a museum. Well, exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah, and they are literally working for uh, Half-Orc Indiana Jones right now, which is the best yes. thing. Um, <laughs> I, have, um, and, I think I have Gnome Indiana Jones in my setting. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, it's funny how often Indy pops up in these things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so they go to this museum because the scale is being put in an exhibition. And I had them explore the museum and again, roll on a table to see what came up one of the things that came up was like in a glass case somewhere there is a deck of many things and (laughs) all of the kind of like the tarot card implications (laughs) and yeah a a couple of them are like into you know tarot reading and astrology and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so they're instantly like oh a deck of cards that can have untold consequences this seems cool and then later on (laughs) yeah and later on i have the villain steal that from the museum Mm. Uh, and so now the villain has that and you know anyone who's had experience with the the deck knows that a lot of the time it just brings ruin on the person who is drawing the cards yeah but there are a couple of ones in there that can really shake things up and so yeah i've effectively plotted out what order this guy draws the cards in and how it's going to affect the adventurer's story and he's basically going to be kind of like the the fulcrum on which the entire story rests and Mm. how they react to the stuff he is doing is going to shape what the conclusion of this part of the story is but yeah it's it's been a really fun experience so far just kind of picking out details of stuff that they focus on things that they catches their eye about a certain room or the things that they think are happening that i'm like no that's not what's happening and then i'm like but maybe it could happen and then i start to yeah (laughs) i start to write it into the the next scenario i mean that that's also that's one of my favorite parts of running the game is to sort of see what the players are you know are responding to and sort of lean more into that than anything else. I mean, yeah, I've never really been a fan of like fully, you know, railroading people through a, a, a story because it feels like what's the, you know, why are we even doing this? This is you should have just written a book, kind of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to sort of take what they're having fun with or what they're sort of seeing as important and kind of, you know, just letting that be the focus, I think is 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 one of my favorite things even if you know if i've if i've got the storyline kind of written if they've latched onto the 100 percent wrong thing I wouldn't, i'm not going to stop them from doing that it just might not might not work out for them later on you know yeah, sort of thing yeah but um yeah i'm not here to go like no that's not the thing you move on to the next room and you know that kind of thing it's sort of no, nothing i think i've said this on one of the other interviews nothing takes me out of a um as a player, nothing takes me out of a scene faster than being railroaded. So I don't like yeah. doing it as a DM kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, one one of the other examples of this coming up for me was I wrote a kind of could have been a throwaway character of a a bard who is effectively like the cartoon annoying bard uh, <laughs> who accosts them as soon as they arrived in this city and promises to give them a tour and you know throws out a bunch of witty lines. And then it turns out this bard has an accomplice who's trying to pickpocket them the entire time. Hmm. And they got real mad at the fact this bard was trying to do them over. <laughs> and 
now my 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 partner's character rolls perception basically any time they're in public to see if the bard is around. Okay, she's like, following them. Sort of thing. Exactly. Like I, I'm like I have to I have to come back to this. Like they have to have a greater significance to what's going on. Yeah. Which is something I'm still trying to like piece together. But yeah, there's they definitely have been like an accomplice to several things now that is yeah it's going like, to be a, yeah. a really interesting payoff. There's a long tradition of like throwaway characters becoming way more important <laughs> just because because you know the little minor encounter you had planned just either the players really love them and you're like oh god all i have was a name like and suddenly scrambling to be like i need to <laughs> this needs to become a fully fleshed out thing yeah. or or the players really didn't like them and like you say are constantly on the lookout for them so then you're like well i need to put them back in you know because well, yeah for one yeah. thing it's funny and two yeah. you know, <laughs> just to, yeah. you know because there, there's there's gold to be mined here sort of thing um you know we've had whole uh, it, it's usually kind of i've i've had an idea of where they've gone you know oh i just want to go to the shop and look for this and something's like hit me and i've gone okay well maybe it's this guy and they've like latched on to it i mean a notable thing was i at a random brainwave in one of our um it's was when was this been third D story arc on the podcast um they went to i didn't plan for them to go into this city at all i just mentioned that was if they'd have taken a right at the crossroads <laughs> and mm-hmm. they i don't know whether they misunderstood me or were just like i want to see that i shouldn't have mentioned it at all so they were like we're gonna go into the city and i was like oh but the quest is the other way all right okay i guess we're going to the city you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're like okay we need to buy a map and i was like well okay let's just make the make the shopkeeper the cousin of one of the characters as a hundred percent coincidence. <laughs> yeah. And now it's yeah. someone and I put on a, a stupid voice and things. And now it's someone I feel like I've definitely got to bring back. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, Mark who was playing uh, the character who was, um, you know, it was his cousin. He's playing it so well as like this sort of like, awkward kind of but still trying to be polite kind of guy that he sort of almost agreed to come to tea one day with him yeah. or something mm-hmm. and yeah it's just so that i mean that was 100 percent just like them going we want to go to the city and we want to go to a shop so i'm just like okay well now i have now i have a whole bit where the, he's going to go to tea with his cousin when they come back from this quest and everything <laughs> yeah you know? you're like now now i'm planning a tea party yeah. and this adventure yeah uh, yeah so uh, like i say the it's stuff you the the stuff that i always find the most fun is the stuff i haven't planned usually so yeah that, the, the emergent gameplay is, yes is so yeah that's important. the term yeah it's yeah. like this this couldn't be i mean it, i mean it could be written beforehand i guess but it's not and that's what's fun to me. It's just like, oh, oh, where are we going with this? Let's see where see where we end up, sort of thing. That that's yeah. you know, and that's part of the reason why I kind of got into this this type of game is just sort of like, a, okay, I have ideas for stories. Let's see what it's going, and then immediately found like, okay, I've sort of written a thing, and it has not survived contact with the players at all because they're going in a hundred percent different direction. But I like it, sort of thing. Yeah. Is um, yeah, yeah. Other, other people often have better ideas than you had in the first place and it's kind of painful but you have to use that pain hmm. <laughs> you have to have to t- turn their ideas into uh, something that looks like you planned it the whole time and that's that's part of the balancing act uh, how how often do you find yourself on the other side of the table are you a player in anyone else's campaign um not at the moment no um but i i do it uh i i was a sort of um long-term player in um 
uh, we we have quite close connections with uh, another podcast, Penance RPG, and mm. um, I was a sort of long term player in uh, two of their separate series on that, which was good. They don't play D anD D as such; it's more of a homebrew system that uh, Nikolai, right. the GM, sort of has come up with. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, I haven't really played a lot since then. I've done kind of one off games here and there, but yeah, um, yeah, never never as much as I, I would like to really. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun because I've had the chance to be a player a couple of times with another group called uh, the Eight Bit Community, who are a bunch mm. of Twitch streamers who have their own community channel where they play uh, Dungeons and Dragons a couple of times a week with different groups and uh, what I think of as the main campaign although I'm, d- I'm not sure how they really think of it um, they had guests on for like two episodes at a time and since I know a couple of them pretty well just through Twitch I was invited to be on two episodes of them playing uh, through Sunless Citadel the the fifth edition mm. uh, version yeah. of Sunless Citadel and so I turned up uh, as a drunken master monk <laughs> called Banjo for two episodes, and it was it was a riot. It was so fun, and especially since once again I felt like the stakes weren't weighing my shoulders down too much because I was just going to leave in a couple of episodes' time, and yeah. it was just a chance to step in and have fun with those guys. And they they were clearly having a great deal of fun, and you know just doing doing whatever. One of the characters just takes things off the rails constantly. Uh, to the point where we did another like charity one-shot stream playing, I think, a free scenario. I looked it up online. I think it's called Trouble in Waterdeep. Okay. Um, and it's just like a plague story kind of thing. That uh, makes it but, bell, actually. I don't know whether I, I might have looked at that at one point. Yeah, I, th- I think it was from one of the, the sites like, you know, DMs Guild or something where occasionally mm. they'll publish something something free for, for people to check out. But um, yeah, I, I was playing a, a different character in that, but one of the characters from the main campaign, who's like the completely chaotic ranger, uh, if if people donated a certain amount to charity, he would just turn up and do random stuff. <laughs> like he would like hurl a cabbage at people and then roll to see how much damage it did. And like, you know, he, he was... <laughs> That's a good charity goal kind of thing of like, hey, yeah, exactly. it's good to like, have little fun things of like, hey, you know, we'll do this in game if you do this sort of thing. Yeah, his 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 first action, I think. Yeah, somebody somebody donated, and his first action, he he sort of came in from off screen on somebody's <laughs> webcam and was like, "I draw my bow and point it at Pixel Riffs," <laughs> just instantly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's 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 been great uh, as a player, just occasionally letting the the chaos take over and mm. not having the stress. But I also like being the one who's holding all the cards. Sometimes I yeah. like knowing what's going to happen in a story. I feel like um, it's a t- I, I do have a little bit of a tough time snapping myself out of the DM mindset yeah. kind of thing of like not overanalyzing but sort of I guess I guess fully yeah I guess fully immersing myself like away yeah. f- you know as a character because I'm so used to you know 99% of the time when I'm running you know playing a game I'm running it so I do have yeah. to have one foot outside of the story as to sort of with an eye of what's coming next and you know that kind of thing yeah, you don't you don't want to be metagaming in your own head when mm. you're at somebody else's table. It's sort of yeah, it makes sense, but it's it's been it's been a really fun experience just writing this story as a creative writing exercise and seeing where the others take it. And we've we've only really managed about one session per month on average. There was a a, a large stretch obviously with the situation uh <laughs> where we we weren't playing at all for about 4 months and now we're just kind of getting back into it again yeah. now that things have started to settle down a bit. But oh god, I'm so I'm really looking forward to actually being able to play a game in the same room as my players mm. and and have one of those old sort of 
old school style D and D sessions where it goes basically all day is just like uh, that. That'd be a holiday to me at this point, um, because yeah. one of our players is in America and one of them is here, and then obviously it's me and my partner in this house. So we all have to play late in the evening for us, which is like early to mid morning for for California time, and then. Mm obviously we only get like two or three hours there before the folks on this side of the pond want to go to bed and yeah inevitably i feel like i'm not able to tell as much story as i can and so sometimes i get a little bit lazy prepping stuff and i don't have a huge amount of stuff figured out at that stage for where things could go but i'm uh i'm, I'm having trouble like balancing the amount of time i need to put into my youtube and twitch stuff with writing this campaign on the side it's hmm. It's something that needs a lot of discipline, and that's still something that I'm feeling out right now. But uh, yeah, with the the characters we've got going on, are they're, they're up to I think level four right now. Okay, and so and they're they're getting a little bit of progression under the under exactly the yeah. And I think they're going to go from levels one through five basically in this city, and then you know we'll we'll see where it goes from there. They they have established the motive that basically they all want to travel on a boat at some point. Just um, a boat. <laughs> like no, uh, no yeah, like but, well one one of the uh the, the warlock uh, my partner's character is a uh, shipwright okay. uh, by trade and came into the warlock powers after they made uh their sort of masterwork boat out of some wood that was part of like a fairy grove and so okay. they now have they now have the fae and the fae in this world we we kind of decided between us have more of a um a kind of uh ancient south american kind of flavor more like the drawing on like the aztec maya kind of hmm. uh, feathered serpent style of uh sort of mystical deity hmm. and so there's there's a lot of interesting flavor to that but um yeah the 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 boat being made out of this specific type of wood, they kind of went, well, that's not on. But then the warlock and was was making it for a guy who turned out to be a really bad guy and was like, okay, I don't want to give him this boat anymore. Can you then hide it? And so there's this kind of bargain going on between the two of them and like that's starting to play out. And so eventually I might give them access to that boat and then they do some seafaring stuff or maybe they return to a, a port town and they just kind of bring their their knowledge of shipwright stuff in into into play here and there i don't know it, it's I, i'm still trying to think about the future whilst also keep myself in the present for the stuff that i've got to finish writing for this mm. one but <laughs> it's uh yeah it's, it's a really neat story with uh with the folks we've got so far yeah I, i'm in i mean this is with that whole kind of looking to the future i'm I'm kind of in the process of i mean we have announced that we are going to be doing a a, a longer se uh, season of star trek adventures on the podcast i'm mm -hmm. kind of at the point where i'm writing stuff and I'm like, I'm I'm coming up with like real fun, like, oh, this would be a great storyline, like, you know, this would be a couple of episodes down the road and things, but I'm tripping on the hurdle of like, how am I going to start the season? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> the beginnings so, are always uh, yeah. a, a little bit hard to navigate. It it's yeah. It I I've got the framing device, I know what ship they're on and everything. I just need to have a reason to get them out of space dock. Mm -hmm. And yeah. <laughs> It, well, I'll get there, but it's just one of those things where I'm just, yeah, I, I, I totally, um, I see where you're coming from on that. Of like, ah, oh, yeah. the, the horizon's over there. Just mm -hmm. trying to, I need to force my head to look down at the where my feet are standing. Is the yeah. uh, the thing, and I, it's something I've not really done yet. Is delve into other systems and other settings. Like mm. everything we've done so far has been D and D because that's something that, again, we all have this sort of shared cultural knowledge of, even if we're starting to 
dismantle that and fill it in with our own details yeah we haven't thought oh let's play a shadow run game for our first ever tabletop rpg <laughs> i wouldn't because, recommend that <laughs> yeah no exactly <laughs> that, like that I, I i follow is, it. Uh, oh, it's tough going <laughs> i i follow a shadow run podcast called fun city who are currently doing a mini arc in a completely separate system because they're like shadow run is intense and we can't do this from like from lockdown <laughs> from being in each other's houses and yeah i think it's uh it's it's also just a fun time to try something new if you are used to that kind of environment already. Mm. And um, the arc they're doing right now is in a system called Still Fleet, which is okay. kind of, of in it's in development right now, and, and they're like the first podcast to really get a feel for it because the the GM from Fun City knows the guy who writes Still Fleet, right? Um, okay. And yeah, Still Fleet looks really interesting. If you've ever read any kind of like high sci-fi kind of stuff, like Frederick Pohl or you know any of the you think like Golank's sci-fi masterworks, but in a mm. uh, an, a tabletop a RPG, form. it's yeah, it's like you know two hundred million years in the future or something. So anything we think of as humanity now is all just like archaic technology, and I think humanity has evolved so many times that you know, it just doesn't look like what we think of as humanity anymore. Mm. There are so many different weird alien races and everything just gives itself a license to be absurd. And Escher-esque is like a big concept in it. There's there's so many ways of like dimensional space folding in on itself. And uh, the dice system for that, I think just assigns a series of the polyhedral dice to certain characteristics. Okay. So you're rolling 20 for some stuff, but like if you're rolling your will dice, depending on what your character build is, that can be a D10 or it can be a D4, and you might not have as much will, just like your your mm -hmm. will is capped at whatever die you choose to assign to that. So your, your strength has a wider range it can go into, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so there's a really neat system at play there, and having gone from Shadowrun to that, they're like, oh, thank God, like I was getting sick of the sight of D6s. <laughs> well, we, um, um, we, did a, we did a short Shadowrun thing on the podcast. This was a couple of years ago. Eden, uh, who's on a lot, a lot of our stuff, ran it. And we uh, just, just building a character was so... so I, I found it so counterintuitive because I was coming up from... Yeah, but I think the last thing we'd play before that was D&D 5th yeah. edition. And... Well, there is a little bit of flipping back back and forth in the fifth edition rulebook. It's you know still fairly straightforward to build a character. Yeah, and I was just I was really struggling with the Shadowrun book of like, wait, I've got to figure <laughs> this. Like, how is where's that come from? And then yeah, <laughs> on the day we started, and, and Jason had just basically <laughs> found a pre-gen character and gone, I'm playing this guy but with a different name. And I was like, why didn't yeah. I think of that? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's funny how D and D has really stood the test of time. I think because it's had such a root in cultural stuff that everybody seems to have some contact with like if you've heard of a fantasy setting you know what D&D sort of looks like mm. and the mechanics of it the the dice rolling system is not perfect by any means and i i know a lot of people who've tried to kind of unpack its flaws but it's very accessible and i think that has just contributed so much to how well D&D D&D has done compared to systems like Shadowrun that are just almost impenetrable to look at at first glance. Yeah. I mean, and I was coming at it as someone who, you know, runs a tabletop role-playing game podcast and everything, you know, and I've I've, I've been DMing D&D for years. I'd played before that. I played Star Wars Saga Edition, which is, you know, based on an older version of D&D, so it was a little, even a little bit more, you know, impenetrable than 5th Edition is. So, I, you know, I wasn't coming at it as like, this is my first game. It was 
and even then I was still struggling with like I just wanna I just wanna make a guy. I wanna make a guy with a gun. Let me make a guy with a gun, Shadow Run. Why are you making it hard for me? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll have a metal arm, maybe he doesn't. Why does it have such statistical implications? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I think like accessibility is a, a really what do you say a really important thing with this. I mean because we like the chat we like the setting. Shadowrun, you know, it's it's really interesting, and like Eden, Eden was running it as I say, and he'd kind of come up with a sort of um, custom sort of place we were. Oh, I say custom. He, um, do you know visit Cern uh, Abbas in Dorset, where it's got the giant with the you know the the chalk giant in the side of the yes, uh, yes. yeah yeah. He'd kind of loosely based it on that, but it was like the future because it's Shadowrun. Um, so like a neon giant on the side of a hill, well, kind I feel of. Like, yeah, I can't remember if he'd said that that had been changed or not or anything. But basically, that was the village where we were at. So he had a fun idea for a setting and things. Um, so we were all up for playing. It was just making it hard to do. That was, you know, we just we wanted to get into the game and we wanted the setting. And I feel like we all just kind of went. That was fun. We had a great time playing, but never it was, again. <laughs> it was yeah. It, it was just uh, yeah. It was it was tough going, and then. You know, basically anybody you can say, "Oh, we want to play D and D. Can you make a character?" And it's not a big deal, kind of thing. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's something yeah. you've done like thousands of times before, more mm. or less. At that point, yeah. And my my group has now started building other characters just for you know the off chance that either their current characters end up dying or that they want to do other bits and pieces. Like the the guy who plays the druid, Michael, is is very keen on writing a scenario for like a one shot that we're going to do in future that he wants to try dming so i think once we're done with the current arc and and that sort of area of the story has wrapped up and they're moving to the coast or wherever we have them go next um i think he's probably going to do like an interstitial story where we roll some different characters and he's going to do something different and hmm. i will inevitably make another monk because i'm obsessed <laughs> with monks now i feel like they it's a fun class yeah, they don't get played often enough, and I think some of the the most fantastic stuff about D anD D as a system is that it's been expanded so much since fifth edition first was published that you now have basically every class can fulfill the role of basically any other class. Mm. Like I was looking at the Way of Mercy monks, and that's just a fascinating discipline to begin with. But also having a monk who's like primarily a healer and it's you know, fulfills it kind of thing yeah exactly kind of fulfills the role of like a paladin or cleric with like a life domain sort of thing or, or whatever but then you can you can have a healer in your party without them really obviously being a healer and you can have so many different origins for these characters that explain that and i think monks just have such a broad variety now that it, it makes them a really interesting class to play i have a a, a dmpc uh monk in our campaign because there's only three player characters and so initially i thought let me throw in a sidekick for them so at least hmm. um you know they have they have a fourth character there just in case i haven't balanced the combat right because i was still kind of new to it and he's kind of become like a beloved member of the group now which i feel like i, I really want to introduce more pcs but i, I don't want to like you know throw him under the bus still or like have him <laughs> yeah I, I don't i, I don't want to have him leave the group just out of nowhere because then they'll be really sad about that and i don't want them to be sad <laughs> i know it's kind of like it, it's it's inevitable at some point that their hearts are going to be broken but i i like this character a lot as well yeah. um but to avoid him just being like the piece the, the the npc that they ask 
and has like the answers to all the questions because it's me. Uh, I made him a Kenku. So uh, for a start, he couldn't really communicate anything to them to begin with unless he'd heard it already. And then I decided if he's going to be a monk, I'll have him have taken a vow of silence. <laughs> really so really just complicated that extra step further. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so effectively like he's he's kind of he's good at being a background character and his because kenku uh, i think in the lore often take their names or people give them names based on like whatever sounds they make kind of frequently and so he is just called silence and i thought that was a pretty badass name for a monk to begin with but <laughs> um yeah he he's also just kind of there in the background helping them in combat sometimes and like communicating with them in sign language instead of talking to them but mm. uh i I kind of got my fascination with monks from from that, and then they came out with Way of the Astral Self, which really was the new the that... Tasha's Cauldron of Laughter subclass. That, I have got the um, book. I just haven't really done a real deep dive into it. Um, I, I love I love some of the stuff they're doing in Tasha's. It's it's really great. But, I've got this problem um, where I buy all the books and then put them on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, right. They they look very good yeah. next to each other, all in a row. But um, yeah, Way of the Astral Self effectively like the you can use key points to channel them into astral projections of limbs that you can then use to enhance attacks like your flurry of blows okay. and like there's a few different mechanics that they get involved with. But I thought it would have been really cool because Kenku have this fascination with flight and because they've been cursed to no longer have wings. One of their like primary motivating factors if you want that for your character is that they they want to learn to fly at some point they want to be able to fly mm. and they covet that more than anything and i thought it would be really cool to have an astral self monk who is a kenku but can manifest wings and so maybe instead of using it as a combat thing he can use them to fly briefly and then i think they disappear after 20 seconds or something like that i like that but that's like yeah taking something which is ostensibly been put into the game it's like hey here's a combat feature and go like well no my guy just wants to be able to do this he doesn't yeah, want to do yeah. it he doesn't want this ability so he can hurt people more he just wants to be able to you know have a just, little just bit kind of, of overcoming an ancestral curse hmm. with like enough training and discipline and stuff just kind of really appealed to me and in the same way that him having a vow of silence kind of that's his way of rebelling against the the sort of the the curse that's been laid on them and yeah, I, I I have an astral self monk planned, but he's a tabaxi who has like additional tails. And then it becomes like a very Naruto multi-tailed beast kind of uh, flavor to it. I always but, can't yeah. help with it. Multiple tails, my brain immediately goes to Sonic the Hedgehog and tails. But, oh yeah, um, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's like, and maybe he could still fly with them. Who knows? Yeah, but, well, it could, uh, could be. Yeah, they are astral, you know, who yeah. knows what they can do. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, yeah. Do, do you find that you, do you gravitate more towards characters who are kind of, unique in that sense in like the the more exotic races and stuff or do you tend to find you prefer like okay most of the world is going to be elves dwarves and humans so you kind of stick to those a lot or um, do you find yourself grabbing gravitating out towards some of the more exotic stuff i do yeah a little bit a little bit further afield than just sticking to elves dwarves and humans but i feel like there is a uh, i'm rather than sort of looking at like oh there's, there's not many you know not many of these in my setting let's see what one of them's like i kind of tend to always i usually leave that to my players because i i can usually count on someone to go i'm gonna play x y or z and it's gonna be something a little bit further out there yeah um so if i'm uh, as i say 99 percent of the time i'm dming and I, I haven't really got many dm pcs there's a couple sort of who pop up every once in a while um but i prefer to sort of 
maybe put a bit more of my time into making a sort of more in-depth kind of history of of someone who they're going to run into a little bit more often if that makes sense yeah Um, yeah but i do you know sort of yeah because i'm coming at it like i say always from more of a kind of world building sort of side of things i think um because i'm most of the time not assuming i'm going to be playing (laughs) yeah is sort of the the thing but i yeah the sort of the more rare ones do kind of tend to add an interesting element of flavor whether it's just like you know um their absence in the general world lends makes their you know appearance here more interesting just as a general concept kind of thing that that sort of thing is um is always quite interesting to me the sort of thing of like oh we don't see tieflings around here you know very yeah. often yeah yeah um, yeah and and there's a, a lot of predefined flavor about like people's mistrust of characters like tieflings mm. or you know various characters just being kind of unusual elves always being aloof all the time about various races and half elves kind of being like stuck in between humans think they're elves elves think they're humans yeah i think a lot of that pre-written stuff i i i kind of dip my toes into occasionally but not really having the time or the energy to explore so much of the lore that has been laid out for D already mm. i'm much happier figuring out how characters in my setting are going to react to people and by and large them being in a large a, a fairly sizable like metropolitan city they are encountering all kinds of stuff and so mm. i can just throw whatever character out there like i had the meter hag who's in the employ of the guild at <laughs> one point just just so the hag could explain what the deck of many things did and yeah the, there's there's some fun stuff you can throw out there without really having to consider the uh the kind of canonical implications of what that character being there means yeah it's I mean, like, we, no, we, I, I can throw you a like a sea witch if i want to <laughs> like whatever <laughs> yeah i mean we always play um when we're playing D on the podcast we're always in our own setting so i'm not having to refer too much back to sort of um oh this is what you know this is what people in the forgotten realms think of this it's always yeah, just exactly. like well the, these know, are the gods of dragon lance in particular or whatever yeah yeah i mean we had a whole we, we occasionally do world building episodes on the podcast i think i think actually when this is going out the previous episode will have been a, a world building episode um where we're just basically building stuff on the you know for our setting kind of thing and we did, we had a whole episode where we were like okay let's pick and choose which gods we're having in our setting yeah, yeah let's let's declare our affiliations now yeah. otherwise this, this and 99 percent of it was just like well that's a cooler name we'll go with that one you know yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> sort of thing without really feeling too beholden to kind of pre-established law in regards to those i mean there's some that i'm you know i'm not going to throw out everything because you know there's some cool stuff that's been written um but at the same time i kind of it's my own setting so i want to make it my own thing Sort of thing is very much a. I mean that that that's part of the fun of doing homebrewing is going like well no this is you know I don't have to refer back to anything written in a book that I paid probably too much for I can yeah uh, <laughs> this is my thing you know yeah exactly all those books can stay on the shelf for a little bit longer yeah <laughs> um I I honestly love the the thing I love the most about Tasha's though is I wanted to put more puzzles into the game at some point for these procedurally generated areas but I am terrible at writing puzzles myself Mm. i had a couple of good ones that it's funny going back to tomb raider (laughs) this is a weird full circle moment i guess but um there's a bit towards the end of tomb raider spoilers if you haven't played the 1996 tomb raider (laughs) um (laughs) there's i'm up to the egypt level so i'm 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 getting there yeah turn up to one aj streams uh to to see see what i mean but uh, saturday's 2 p.m (laughs) 
Towards the end, there is a puzzle where you walk into a room and there is a doppelganger of Lara that appears on the opposite side of the room. And it's really weird because it doesn't say anything. It doesn't do anything. Shooting it doesn't do anything. It like looks like it's shooting at you, but it doesn't necessarily hurt you. Hmm. You can't pass through the room because it will mirror your movements. If you walk into it, it walks into you. And effectively, you just have to use the environment to figure out, oh, okay, there's a pit on the other side of the room that is not on your side of the room. Hmm. So if you walk over a certain way, then the, the thing falls into the pit and then it gets stuck there and you can pass through the room. But it, it's a really eerie puzzle right towards the end. And I basically rewrote that to be like a series of clay figures that wouldn't let my characters cross a room, but I didn't give them like the pit or the, maybe there would have been one, but they didn't roll high enough perception to be able to see the pit. Yeah, exactly. And so then I had the characters effectively just figure out what, which of their abilities they could use to get out of the situation. But I didn't have a solution in mind. (laughs) So occasionally I write the first half of a puzzle and I let the characters figure out what happens, which (laughs) is kind of this. We're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. It's it's going to work every time until it doesn't. And I always have to try and make it feel like it is like you got the right solution or you got like a solution that I had in mind. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to let the mask slip and be like, no, I actually didn't figure <laughs> this out at all. Listen to this, but like, yeah. <laughs> it's my job to put you in situations and then, you know, who knows? But uh, yeah, Tasha's has a really great section on writing puzzles. There are a couple of puzzles in there that you can adapt and tips for how to make them easier or harder depending on the difficulty level you want to impose on your characters there's there's some really good resources in there and that's what mm. i crave like i if, if anyone's listening to this and has good resources for that from online like for writing puzzle rooms and stuff like escape room stuff even specifically i would absolutely love to hear from you <laughs> if you want to <laughs> at me on twitter like 100 percent fine like yeah. dm me on instagram and any of that i i'm i'm very keen on finding uh, more resources like that I feel like in a very awkward turn then, that's a very good note to point people towards where they can find you online um, and all your stuff, I guess. Yeah, uh, so you can find me online at Pixlriffs, P-I-X-L-R-I-F-F-S. That's at YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can also find my podcast, The Spawn Chunks Podcast, at thespawnchunks.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I also do the Hermitcraft recap on YouTube. You can find that through a quick YouTube search because the URL is nothing to do with Hermitcraft recap. We couldn't <laughs> we couldn't get the custom URL or the custom URL was set up when it was a different channel. So mm. it's got a complicated history, but that's also uh, yeah another little side project I do related to Minecraft. Uh, I don't really do any D&D stuff online except with my occasional appearances on the 8-bit community's uh, D&D stuff. It's largely an offline hobby for me, Mm. um, and I expect it will stay that way. But my New Year's resolution for 2021 was to play more Dungeons & Dragons, so uh, I might be popping up here and there. Um, I'll be mentioning those on Twitter when I do. Well, maybe we can get you on for a one-shot at some point. Absolutely, would love to. Yeah, if it's if it's D and D, then I'll be down. If it's any other system, maybe give me a chance to research it yeah. first. But uh, <laughs> I won't just no, do like, I, hey, hey man, we're doing uh, we're doing Shadowrun. We're doing Shadowrun <laughs> tomorrow. Are you cool? Like, <laughs> yeah, bring, bring your metal arms yeah. and 
and and no, an entire the, um... bag of like a gallon bag of d6s <laughs> i want to do more dnd uh, one shots this year um i'm terrible mm-hmm. at running one shots because as previously said i i tend to go like oh the players are doing a fun thing let's let's watch and, yeah, <laughs> and exactly. before i know it's like well this episode is going to be four hours long if i do this mm-hmm. so this is not going to be a one shot <laughs> oh yeah the, the, but... the charity one shot we did turned out to be an eight hour long live stream Oof. so i i have i have been through the ringer with yeah. that stuff i have i have more stamina than i gave myself credit for <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, keep an eye out then for maybe potential appearances. Um, but uh, yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. This is an, an awkward ending, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for awkward endings, man. It's been, it's been a pleasure. It's been yeah. it's been an absolute joy. Uh, yeah, being on somebody else's podcast for a change has mm. been has been great. So <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's good. I should probably give out our own links and things. Um, Please do. As always, uh, you can all find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pretend With Dice. Uh, I say it every time. One of these days, I'll remember to post on the Instagram. Um, it's going to happen one day. <laughs> uh, you can join us on Discord, um, the links to which are in the contact page of our Podbean site and also in our Twitter bio. If you feel so inclined, we have a Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash pretendingwithdice. So, yeah, um, Thanks once again so much for joining me. This has been a, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's good it's good to catch up and just chat um, chat D and D stuff as well. It's just uh, yeah, it's right, been too long yeah. since we've been able to catch up. So I know. See, see you in ten years for yeah, the next we'll, episode. We'll tune, tune back in in ten years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll see everybody next time, and uh, yeah, have a good one, everybody. Peace.